Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Alan Presents Christmas Movie Countdown. I'm here with Emma. Yeah. And today, episode 17, we are talking about White Christmas Do-do. from 1954. Now, this movie stars Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. Vera fucking Ellen. That goddamn tiny toothpick, beautiful dancer woman. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> Yes. Now, if you've never seen White Christmas before, like I had never seen it before, you should stop what you're doing and you should go check it out. It is a gorgeous musical set in post-World War II America, and it is fucking fantastic. I don't know why I had never seen this film before, but I'm mad that I've missed, you know, 20 some odd years of not watching this film. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) It's so good. It is really, really good. I don't even know how to describe it other than that. It's so fucking good. Yes. I've watched it every single year since I was like, oh, Jesus. I don't even remember the first time. You were old enough to remember anything? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So this movie follows two war buddies who were stationed in Europe, and the film starts in the middle of the war. Or at, mm-hmm. towards the end of the war. It's like 1945-ish. We don't know an exact date. But we're getting near the end of the war. And it starts on this base. And Bing Crosby and Danny Kay are playing the two main characters, Bob and Phil. <laughs> and they are performing an impromptu show to kind of keep the troops motivated and happy. And as their big closeout number, they're going to sing this song called The General. Uh Uh-huh. We'll follow the general wherever he has to go. Yes. Yes. So their big closing number for their performance is called We'll Follow the General. And it's regarding the general of their current base. He is moving on to a different post. Basically, he's getting replaced. And all the soldiers are sad about it because they really have, you know, they've grown to love this guy you were around at all for any of our war movies you know that these people grow to become like family and Mm -hmm. they definitely feel that way towards the general so they have this beautiful song to basically pay tribute to him and say you know we're sad that you're leaving we understand that you have to go but we're gonna miss you so they sing this song for him everyone's kind of emotional but it's the middle of the war so like all right fuck it we gotta go and Then a bombing happens and now they're no longer in the war. Then it cuts to (laughs) newspapers shuffling on top of each other, talking about VE Day and the end of the war. So we know that the war is over. These soldiers get to go home. And then it jumps to New York. And the main characters are now performing together on stage in New York. And they have this whole giant act right before they left the war. Danny Kaye's character, Phil, saves Bob's life by pushing him out Mm -hmm. of the way so he doesn't get hurt by a wall that's about to crumble on top of him. And he uses this as leverage to basically make Bob say yes to anything that he wants. So when they get back Mm -hmm. to the States, Bob, who was already an entertainer prior to going to war, comes back and continues to be an entertainer but brings along Phil with him. So they create this two-man show. And they get huge success. You know, they're producers, they're singers, they're dancers, they're the whole package. And they get a letter right before they're supposed to go on break for their show. They're supposed to go on a two-week break for the holidays. Yeah. 
they get a letter from one of their old army mates and it's like hey would you guys be willing to check out my sisters basically they have a show they're performing down here in florida at you know at such and such can you you know go check them out see if you can give them advice or anything like that so because it's you know one of their army mates they're like yes let's do it meanwhile phil is trying to get bob to settle down (laughs) because bob is one of these go 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 like i have to be the best at my job i have you know we have to keep going whatever it is whatever the next step is that's where we have to go like to push our careers forward and phil just wants to like find a girl and just chill for a while like (laughs) he doesn't want to keep adding on titles he doesn't want to be a producer yeah all these different things he's just like okay can we just like bring it down and like take a break I love it when he is talking to him about why can't you just have a wife and have nine kids? Because even if you spent five minutes with each of them every single day, that'd be 45 minutes that I could have to myself. (laughs) I've never heard someone justify having nine kids that way. Yeah. And now I'm like, hmm, all right, well, 45 minutes to myself sounds kind of nice. Yeah. So Phil is trying to get Bob to slow down and like get a girl. He keeps trying to set him up with different dancers that are in their show. And Bob's just like, nah, dude, when I know, I will know. And this ain't it. So let's go check out these sisters yeah. and see, you know, because we owe it to our friend from the army. Like, let's go do it. So they go down to Florida and they check out this sister act. And the sisters are played by Rosemary Clooney <laughs> and Vera Ellen. And they are just incredible they do the same type of show that bobby and phil do they're singers they're dancers they're everything and honestly that's what i focused on almost this entire movie is how incredible everybody was and how just insane performers were expected to be at the time of this film like in the 40s and 50s and even the early 60s like you It wasn't just about you being able to sing or you Mm -hmm. looking good. Like you had to sing, you had to dance, you had to tap dance, you had to do all these different things. And it just- (laughs) Choreography. And you had to be incredible at all of them. Like (laughs) insane. So they watch these sisters and they are incredible. And then they get to sit down with the sisters and kind of talk about, you know, what the plan is for the future and all these different things. And- Phil is like, oh, damn, I need to make sure that he gets with Mm -hmm. the older of the two sisters. And the younger sister is like, hey, I'll help you. I agree. My older sister needs somebody like she's crazy and has always been watching over me. Like she says, like a mama hen and she's the baby chick or whatever. So the two younger folks are trying to set up their two partners and get them to fall in love. And they do a pretty good job, honestly. Some stuff happens in Florida and the girls have to leave really quickly. So the boys create a diversion and give them their tickets to go to New York, even though the girls need to actually be in Vermont to perform a show. Mm -hmm. The boys perform their diversion. They play the song sisters and they do (laughs) the same thing but like in drag and that scene was actually all improvised and wasn't intended it wasn't supposed to be in the show (laughs) but the director liked it so much while it was happening that he recorded it and was like fuck it this is going in because this is hilarious right (laughs) i love it because during that scene bing crosby cracks like eight times oh yeah and he just starts busting up laughing i'm like this is beautiful (laughs) Yeah. 
So, oh, Bob. After they perform, they end up at the train station. They get on the train that they're supposed to be on to go to New York, but they don't have their tickets because. Phil gave them to the girls. So Bob has to buy more tickets, spend another $100 on tickets to New York. And he's riding around in the train and they happen upon the girls and they have a discussion (laughs) and they find out that the girls are going to Vermont to perform at this hotel, this inn that has booked them. And Phil and Judy are trying to push the other two together. So they're like, yeah, we can go. Like you guys should come with us and we'll make it a quadruple act and it'll be fine. (laughs) So they flirt and flirt and flirt on the train and they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll go to Vermont too. So they all end up in Vermont together and they show up at this inn and there's no snow because it's just been a hot winter. And that's basically unheard of in Vermont. Anyone who knows anything about the geography of the United States, Vermont is what we call a snow state and it is constantly (laughs) snowing there. And, you know, they have the best ski slopes and the best snow resorts and all these different things in Vermont because that's just where they are, weather pattern-wise. And there's hardly any snow when they show up. And they're like, well, that sucks. That means there's probably not going to be a lot of people at the inn, but fuck it. (laughs) They roll up into this inn and they find out that it is owned by the general that Phil and Bob served under in the war. The one that they sang the song to at the beginning of the film. So they're like, oh, shit, we love this dude. Like, we have to figure out something and in talks with the maid and his granddaughter they find out that the inn is not doing well financially it's suffered a lot because they've had a couple of hotter seasons so they haven't had a lot of snowfall i.e all of the ski resorts in california and (laughs) bob and judy and phil and everybody decide okay well we have to do whatever we can to help the general because he was such a great general and we loved him so much we're gonna put on a big show and we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that this goes off without a hitch Mm -hmm. they don't really tell the general about it because they don't want him to know that they're going to surprise him with all this big hoopla all about him Mm -hmm. and Bing Crosby's character is making all of these phone calls arranging all these different things he's arranging tv appearances and meetings with managers and different things to make sure that the program that him and Phil were running in New York can be done at this hotel, basically. In a Vermont. ski lodge, yeah. A ski lodge. So he's making all these phone calls and he's getting all of his set designers and musicians and backup dancers and everybody. They're all coming in from New York. They're doing all these things. And being the nosy maid that she is, Emma <laughs> is listening in on some of these phone calls, you know, because that's what she does. Mm-hmm. And the first couple, she's like, yay, great. Like he's doing all these good things. And he kind of whispers into the main girl's ear into rosemary clooney's ear and is like hey like he's a great guy you should totally check him out Mm -hmm. and they're falling more and more in love bing crosby and rosemary clooney are falling more and more in love as the story goes on then bing crosby has to make a phone call to his manager and the maid only hears a partial part of this conversation Mm. he hears the manager saying oh yeah we could do this and we could do this and we could do this and we could make all this money and do this and this and this to profit off of this performance and then she hangs up because she thinks that that's what's going to happen and that this is all just a ploy to make the boys richer so she hangs up and she goes and tells rosemary clooney's character and rosemary clooney's character is like the fuck i'm done (laughs) i'm out (laughs) 
And Bing Crosby comes in right after she hangs up and is like, no, 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 no. All profits from this performance are going to go towards the general. They're going to support the end that, you know, he was such a great guy to me. Like, we're not making any money off of this. But of course, the maid doesn't hear that. And neither does Rosemary Clooney because she only gets what the maid heard. Yeah. So Rosemary Clooney starts just being standoffish to him. And the other two characters, Judy and... Phil cannot figure out what's going on with them because they were really close for a minute and now they're just not talking. So they try to push them together by faking an engagement because like one of them is the best friend, the other is the sister. So if the best friend and sister are going to get married, then those other two have to be together as best man and maid of honor. So like, yeah, push them together no matter what. So they fake this engagement and Rosemary Clooney's just like, this is a lot y'all are a lot and Bing Crosby's not who you guys think he is he's being an asshole like I'm out and she gets Mm -hmm. on a train to New York Bing Crosby gets also on a train to New York because he has to go like finalize things with a manager to make sure everything is going right and to do a tv spot to announce to everyone who served in the same corps with him yeah the 151st division yeah that's everyone that served in the 151st division that they need to come and support the general because he's hurting so bring your families bring whatever you know come stay at this hotel or this Mm -hmm. inn and let's support the general we're doing a big show And they do all this without the general knowing. So Rosemary Clooney overhears that this is happening and is like, okay, well, I've been a dick. Like, I didn't even let you explain yourself. Let me go back and I'll perform in the show. So they both end up at the show and he doesn't know that she came back. Basically, he thinks that she just left. So they start performing the show. The show starts out with a song called, Gee, I Wish I Was Back in the Army. And the general sits down at this table in the middle. There's a big cake on it. Mm-hmm. And he sits down at this table because it's clearly meant for him. And Bing Crosby and Danny Kay start singing, gee, I wish I was back in the army. And then the entirety of the 155th division come out and march and are helping sing this song with him. And the general is brought to tears because yeah. all of these people showed out to support him. I'm not crying. You're crying. I know. I'm like starting to tear up right now. Thinking exactly. About <laughs> I'm sitting over here like, stop it, Katie. Stop talking about it, Katie. Fucking stop, Katie. Oh, man. So the general gets teared up because everyone is there and he goes through and he shakes everybody's hands. Then he blows out the candles on the cake and it's really sweet. And then they go on with the rest of the performance. The next performance is some dance stuff. And then Mm -hmm. White Christmas is performed. There's Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye dressed up as Santa. There's Rosemary Clooney, who we didn't know was actually there, but she just pops up and Bing Crosby is like, oh shit she's here (laughs) (laughs) dressed as mrs claus and judy is dressed as mrs claus there's a bunch of children in this performance like there's choir boys and there's female dancers in red and there's female dancers in white like soloists and this big production of the song white christmas and then they end up paired up together (laughs) with the respective sisters that they were kind of falling in love with and then they kiss and then it starts snowing and they open up the big barn doors and everybody gets to see that it is a white Christmas, which hooray, finally the ski resort has snow. Mm -hmm. The end. It's very happy, very cute and incredible, like breathtakingly so at how much music and choreography and stuff was put into this film. It's, it's not, I wish that they would do this kind of thing more. And I know in a way, a lot of companies are trying to do movies like this 
again, similar to this, I'll say in quotes. Um, but it just, they don't make them like they used to. The Bing Crosby's, the Rosemary Clooney's, the the dancers, the like, who talks about the Rockettes anymore? Yeah. Who the fuck talks about the Rockettes? The Rockettes are absolute fucking units. Let yeah. me tell you. And Vera Ellen, she was a Rockette when she was like 10. Yeah. That chick has been... I, I literally, I have no, I have no words, yeah. but the costuming is so fucking on point. Like yeah. who doesn't want to wake up and put on the Mrs. Claus dress that Judy and Betty had on? Yeah. Like I, I, I want to wear that dress. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be in that dress. And I understand that like when, when you're watching it, some of the things that Bing Crosby says, you're like, boy, misogynistic much. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, it was a different time. Sure. But there's such a different air to movies like this and people like this. And I, I don't know. I just, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, the costuming is definitely one of the first things I recognized about the film just being incredible. And it's not even, I would say the first 20 minutes of the film I didn't even notice it yeah so this film came out in 1954 it starts in the middle of World War II so it's just a bunch of men in uniform and for me I didn't I don't think I thought very much of it while I was watching it because you know they were less than 10 years removed from World War II and a bunch of the people like Bing Crosby went overseas to perform all the time for the troops like he had this gear it was easily and readily available for them basically i started noticing it when they got to the boys doing their performance in new york because they get off stage to go on to break and they get out of their performance suits and then they put on regular suits and that's just an aspect of male fashion that has gone away completely which i am both grateful for and sad for because men in suits is like a whole that's a whole level of hot that we just don't get anymore (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I'm all for everyone being comfy. Like, I'm in leggings and a sweater right now, so I can't really talk because I'm not trying to wear corsets (laughs) and dresses all the time. Uh, Nope. But... (laughs) But it was just like, that's where I started. That's the point in the movie where I started paying attention to the costumes because they change out of one suit to get into another suit. And then they go to Florida and they meet the girls, Judy and Betty. And every single dress and costume that Judy and Betty are in is absolutely incredible. Like the workmanship for each of the show gowns was just incredible. And whoever did the costuming for this, like I hope you won all the awards because you deserved it. It's so pretty. It's so, 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 so pretty. And I know that this the designs of a lot of these dresses were not hard to come by or not uncommon of the time because this was made in the early 50s so this style of dress was very common but the outfits are just incredible yeah in rants in exactly (laughs) exactly it was so good but uh yeah so okay the song white christmas got released First in Holiday Inn, which came out in 1942. Yes, I think Um, it the song was copyrighted in 1940 for Irving Berlin. And the story behind the song, it was supposed to be written from the point of view of a New Yorker who was stuck in a warm place, California, Florida, whatever, for the holidays. But the true story behind why he wrote the song was his three-week-old son died on Christmas Day in 1928. And 
about 10 years later, he and his wife were struggling with that still. I mean, as you do. And he wrote this song thinking of the first white Christmas that he shared with his three week old and then lost his three week old on Christmas day. day. Yeah. So, I mean, that'll, that'll really wreck the way that you hear white Christmas ever again, but it kind of, I don't know, it brings more of the meaning of like what's going on in the movie a little closer just because they are trying a last ditch effort to help and save someone's livelihood in this movie. And yeah. that does in a way similarly ring true with why the song was written in the first place. But that's just a fun fact about uh, the song White Christmas, other than the fact that it's fucking great. Yeah. And Bing Crosby sold 50 million copies of White Christmas. Oh yeah, it's like the most it. listened to song of all time. It's yep. it's held the record for the top charting song of all time. It's held that record for like over a decade. Yeah, it's incredible. It really, I mean, I honestly don't know how many good things to say about this movie other than all of them. <laughs> So I, it's, it's so good. I don't know. I know you have a bunch of fun facts, Katie, and I don't, I don't want to steal any of your no, fun go facts. Ahead. Go ahead. One of them was that Danny Kaye sang, Bing Crosby sang, and Rosemary Clooney sang. Mm-hmm. Vera Ellen cannot sing to save her life. Yeah. She's just a dancer. So, yes. Now the other fun fact is Vera Ellen can dance like a motherfucker. Rosemary Clooney cannot dance yeah. to save her life. So if you watch closely during a lot of the scenes when Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen are in the same scene performing, yeah. Rosemary Clooney looks severely awkward she from does. the neck down. <laughs> like she doesn't want to be there at all. Yeah. <laughs> it is really funny because you can notice Vera Ellen lip singing to whoever tracked over on top of her. It was uh, uh, Trudy Stevens. Yes, there's Trudy, Trudy Stabile at the time. Yeah. Sang the she sang for Vera Ellen's voice on the songs Sisters, Snow, and White Christmas finale. Yes. It it cracks me up. But uh yeah, it's really funny to watch how awkward Rosemary Clooney looks when she's on stage and she's yeah. like, What what do you want me to do with this? Yeah. Where do I go from here? <laughs> Which is actually really interesting that one of them couldn't dance and the other one couldn't sing because for the most part, movie musicals that came out around that time, all the main characters had to be able to do both. You had to be able to yep. sing and you had to be able to dance and act, of course. You had to be able to exactly. do all three. And the fact that each one of these women could only do two is just a testament to how fucking hard it is to do all three. Like Bing Crosby yeah. and Danny Kay are doing all three because they're just over the top incredible but but it's just so hard to find someone who can do all three i when i think of someone who someone of that time who can do all three i think of debbie reynolds oh yes 100 percent. yeah debbie reynolds and then also julie andrews like i want to talk about people who can do all the things <laughs> oh can you imagine can you freaking imagine oh I can't. I literally can't. If they would have chosen Julie Andrews over Rosemary Clooney for Betty's. Yeah. Part, not that Julie Andrews was auditioning for I don't know that. But can you fucking imagine? And then if they used Rosemary Clooney to dub over for Vera Ellen. Jesus. Yeah. Hands down. Incredible. Incredible. This movie's already incredible. Like it would have been so good. <laughs> okay. Uh, other fun fact for the song. Gee, I wish I was back in the army. 
there is a lyric where they say Jolson, Hope, and Benny all for free. And that's Mm -hmm. a reference to three wartime entertainers, Al Jolson, Bob Hope, and Jack Benny. And Mm -hmm. the original words to the actual song are Crosby, Hope, and Jolson all for free because Bing Crosby used to perform for war shows all the time, but they changed it because Bing Crosby was in the cast. So they had to (laughs) and edit it so that, so it didn't break the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. That would have been great though. I would have giggled. Yeah. It's fucking fantastic. (laughs) So this was the most successful film of 1954. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, And the train scenes had to be shot at 20th Century Fox because it was the only studio that had a standing train set. Jesus. (laughs) I'm just picturing like Willie the Giant right now with a giant train set and parking it in 20th Century Fox. That's literally all that popped into my head right now. There is a myth that has persisted to this day that all of Vera Ellen's costumes, down to her robe and her sleepwear, were designed to cover her neck, which had been damaged by anorexia. Jesus. Which, honestly, I could believe it because watching this, I just, my eyes kept darting down to her waist and realizing how just paper thin she was and being concerned for her because she's shaped like an unhealthy hourglass oh it's it's barbie yeah i felt like she was just gonna fall over and crumble a bunch of times micah micah comes out for two seconds while i'm watching this and was walking by on the couch and he looks at it and he's like why she's a dancer aren't they supposed to be like thick yeah i was like not her Well, it was especially evident. There's a scene where, oh, one of my favorite songs was uh, now it's like now it's all choreography or what happened to dance. Yes. Yeah. I fucking love that song. And it's a comparison to old timey, like having to be great classical dancers to everything being choreographed more modern. Mm -hmm. And they do this thing where Vera Ellen's character is doing all this really intricate dancing with Danny Kaye's character. Yeah. And they're doing this really intricate step work. And then they have this like group of dancers all dressed in what I would call modern dancewear. So it's all yeah. like color guard uniforms, like <laughs> all single color. It's like a singlet with like half leggings and a tiny skirt. Yeah. But all of these dancers in this scene, all of these choreography dancers are fucking thick as shit. Like they all have yep. jumps for legs. And I'm like, that is exactly what a dancer would look like. Why is Vera Ellen so small? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's weird how that idea of the perfect body is pushed on us. Even in the 50s. It's gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. I think that's all of the fun facts that I've got that really stood out to me. If you want to read more fun facts, there's about a million of them. You can find them all on IMDb's trivia page. Because this movie is so old, there is a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So yeah, I would definitely check that out if you have any interest or love this movie. There's a lot of cool stuff to find out. Okay, Mm -hmm. who was your favorite character? I had a hard time picking favorite characters in this one just because you hook so hard onto the characters that you do get to by name meet in this. I was stuck somewhere between Phil and the general. Yeah, The general really stood out to me like he was just a stand-up dude incredibly. And I I loved his character. Um, But Phil was a goober. And I liked how 
much he centered Bob's character because he needed it. That would be my my two favorites. What about you? Um, My favorite character was Bob Wallace. Um, Bing Crosby's (laughs) character he was kind of like standoffish and concerned with his career yes very much so at the beginning and that's fine like I don't have a problem with that at all but he was so genuine and caring for the people around him yes he understood that his friend like just wanted time off you know to go be a normal dude he got that he was like okay well let's take a two-week break and he understood like his friends trying to push him into a relationship like okay well i don't want to be pushing a relationship just chill on it but i get it like yeah i understand what you're telling me and then all of the attention to detail and care that he put into finding a solution for the general Mm -hmm. and helping the general out was just incredible like he didn't have to do that the the general wasn't the one who saved his life you know he was just a stand-up guy that was in charge of you for the war and i don't know it was incredible and i liked yeah bob a lot agreed all right least favorite character this was a hard one for me i didn't like some parts of first act like opening act bob but i didn't like act two ish emma i was like why you gotta take things that you hear two seconds of and then go make sure the world knows this person is a horrific person yeah like what's wrong with you yeah, but. Emma was my least favorite character as well. Like, bitch, mind your own fucking business. This is, not, this is not your deal. Like, you don't know his intentions. And if you have a problem with someone, go fucking talk to that person up front. Don't just be like whispering right? behind his back and ruining his fucking romantic prospects. Like, that's not up to you. This <laughs> yeah, that was good to you. If you have a concern a and you think he's going to cheat you out of something, like, or cheat the general out of something. And what? Like, go fucking talk to him about the- it. She made some statement like, of course it's true. I heard what I heard. Otherwise, I'm not the president of the, what was it, local nosy ninnies or some shit. And I was like, yeah, you would. You would. Yeah, no, it was bullshit. She was dumb. Agreed. All right. Seven word synopsis. Yes. I'm surprised. I only had two for this, which is stunning because, like I said, I watch this movie every year. But you, you really do get lost in the movie of it. I just, I don't know. My two synopsis are dancers are absolute units, costuming on point. Yep. And then my alliterative is Crosby Clooney Christmas creation croons charismatic chord. Nice. Yeah. Mine is post-war crooners help out old general. There you go. That works. Yeah. There's a lot of other things happening in this film, like love and all of these different things. But the main story is that they help out the general. You know, they were in the army together. They're going to stick with that and support their army buds. Yeah, I mean, they did a great job, so. Okay, so what do you think the budget was for White Christmas? This came out in 1954 by Paramount Pictures, and it was a big production. It really was um i feel like it's gonna be a bigger number than i think it is but at the same time not as big as you'd think it would be yeah if i'll tell you right now if this movie was made these days this the grandiose nature of this film if they made it right now in 2020 2021 this movie would easy run 100 million easy yeah i'm gonna have to let's say 15 dollary dues let's go with your low one go lower okay i was gonna say three Okay, that's that's much closer. So the actual budget for this film was $2 million. 
There we uh, go. Which when you watch this film and think about the fact that it was made for only $2 million, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you think how far we've come in oh, yeah. terms of how much things cost to do. Like, yeah, this film would easily easily cost a hundred million dollars to do today but the fact that they did this costuming alone dollars yeah incredible just yeah simply incredible okay how much do you think this movie made now when i ask that i'm talking about the box office around the time it was made not the entirety like up to now up to now yeah not 70 years worth of information uh, i'll go back to my 15 dollar dues nice it made double that <laughs> There we go. It made $30 million in the box office. Good. Well, I was going to guess 50 because I'm sitting there thinking if Bing Crosby sold 50 million copies of White Christmas, the song. Yeah. It had to be somewhere near that. So that makes sense that this was a $30 million bring in. Yeah. Like insane amounts, insane amounts. I tried to look up like video sales and different things about it and couldn't seem to find anything else. Um, It has been released all over the world at different points throughout time since this movie came out originally. So yeah. Can you imagine if they released... I know COVID world, nobody can think about a movie theater. Can you imagine if they released this shit in Vermont, in the snow, at a drive-in theater? Yeah. I would literally shit my pants trying to get on an airplane to go see that in Vermont (laughs) at a drive-in theater in the fucking snow. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in a drive-in theater in the snow. No, that sounds not like a preferably, recipe for disaster, but, but I'd go I'd watch this. It. I'd go watch this in like a barn. Yeah, right on like, a projector. Like, like where they filmed it, like right quote unquote where they filmed it. Like this was all done in Hollywood or whatever, but where like a ski lodge yeah. supposedly takes place, like in that big lodge mm-hmm. hall thing. That's for sure. That's totally what I would do. Agreed. Yeah, no, this movie is incredible. So if you have not seen white christmas or even if you have seen white christmas go check it out go watch it again it is completely family friendly it is incredibly thoughtful it runs about two hours because it Mm -hmm. is a musical movie but it's a musical movie of olden times is what i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. so it's not you know over the top and poppy like annoying musical because i know a lot of people don't necessarily like modern time musicals you know it's just it's 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 not the kind of show that's gonna sing a song about needing to grab a tissue because you're so sad that some guy didn't notice you that's not yeah this is less kind of show it's less situational songs and more Mm -hmm. because they are building a show within this movie the pieces that are played are pieces that are going into the show. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like, oh, let me pick up a candle and light a candle. And then we'll talk about this candle for like 10 minutes. It's not any of that. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. Red. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is really good and you should definitely check it out. I will say this is from 1954 and you can tell that it's from 1954 because there is zero diversity in this film. Every single zero. person in this film is white and i know that this movie has gotten a lot of flack because of that Mm -hmm. and deservedly so like this is a great film and it's heartwarming and beautiful but would a little diversity have killed it is also keep in mind 1954 so some of the comments and the way that the women and the men interact with each other is much different from what is socially acceptable these days uh there's no outright like you belong in a kitchen like there's none of that 
it's much no, but there is more there subtle. is the comment of have you eaten because she's upset yeah and he's like did you eat today maybe you should eat something and i was like damn not okay <laughs> yeah well see part of me is like upset at that comment and part of me was like i agree like if it was me, I would have also been asking them how oh, they yeah. eaten today because they weigh literally 80 pounds. Both of those women exactly. weighed 80 pounds. And I'm concerned for their health as just mm-hmm. a bystander watching this film. I'm concerned that you guys haven't eaten enough today because you yeah. weigh 80 pounds and we've been rehearsing and dancing all day. Maybe you should stop and have a burger break. But for sure. the way that it is said is sexist. <laughs> a a bit. little. So <laughs> there, there is that. So keep that in mind. This was an old film. <laughs> but it's good. So check it out. All right. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or want to hate on us for liking white Christmas, you can tweet (laughs) us at Allentown pod. You can email us at Allentown presents at gmail.com. Oh, we have a Facebook. It is Allentown presents. Yeah. So we will be back again tomorrow with another episode of the Christmas movie countdown. Thank you so much. We're getting closer to Christmas. It's only about a week away. Yay. Thank God. Bye, everyone. Bye. Toots.